Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What is the worst decision you've ever made in your life? I think I know Dave's. (laughs) (laughs) It's Thursday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Q&A with me, Adam Boltwood, Robbie from Arsenal Fan TV's best friend, Lawrence McKenna. Oh, good to see you. <laughs> Statman Dave. Oh, no, Fossimens is injured. Uh-oh. And, of course, Chris Hennich. Chris, that's where you say hello. <laughs> <laughs> it's, going, <laughs> it's going smoothly so far. I love Wanted it. Wanted a dramatic end. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are here, of course, to talk about all the Premier League action, including the Manchester Derby, including the magic of Christian Eriksen, and the end for David Moyes, question mark. Well, in part two, we're going to get to your questions where we're going to tackle the Joey Barton gambling controversy. What the hell is going on at Newcastle and West Ham and their running with the HMRC, as well as talking our manager of the year. So much good stuff to look forward to. Before that, though, it's time for whole of the week. Uh, Dave, could you give me a little jingle, a little musical intro while I bring up the review? Jingle bell, jingle bell, hole of the week, hole of the week, hole of the week. Jingle bell, jingle bell, hole of the week, hole of the week. Blonde. Wow, quite something. The hole of the week this week is no one, guys, because there have been no new reviews left on the front free on iTunes. It's almost like you don't want that box of Ferrero Rocher, guys, that is given to the whole of the week each week it's so easy all you have to do is click on the link in the description of this podcast rate and review the front free preferably with five stars and you could be in the chance of being hold of the week and winning those chocolates i am i am a massive fan i'm a massive fan of the frank ocean album blonde yeah, we all are we all are dave are you a fan of that album yourself never heard it mate Wow, should probably get listened to it. Um, Guys, let's talk the Manchester Derby, the thrilling Manchester Derby. Joining us to do so is friend of the show, Nico Morales. Nico, welcome to the front three. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thanks, uh, thanks, Adam. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Talk to me, Nico, because I I missed this game. Uh, Fortunately, it would seem, because uh, people uh, are up in arms about how just incredibly dull this game was. Is that a fair assessment, Nico? I don't think so. I think it was... Uh, pretty interesting from a tactical uh, standpoint, as I think Dave and I will uh, will attest to. I think um, 
there was a lot at play here. Uh, but really, I, I think Manchester City, once again, against a, t- a top team in the Premier League, um, can can count themselves a little bit unlucky to not be at least one or two goals up within that game. Mm, I think it was um, it was an interesting game. I think United sat back and counted quite well. I quite liked how United attacked City down the flanks in the first half, but in the second half, it just wasn't there. I think Mkhitaryan started off as playing a false nine for the first maybe 10 minutes and it worked really well. Like City were didn't know what to do, didn't know whether to follow him. He was dropping back and creating a diamond in midfield. And then Mourinho just switched it and put Rashford through the middle, which worked for the first half because City were, weren't really pressurising United in midfield and they had space to play the balls to him. But as soon as City started to dominate, there was no link between United's midfield and their attack. And I, I really think if he pushed Mkhitaryan through the middle again in that second half could have opened a lot of angles for United to break because they Rashford was consistently causing them problems. Anthony Martial, Zabaleta didn't know what to do with him. Um, you know, completing the first half, he completed five dribbles, which was two fewer than the entire City team managed combined. But in the second half, he only completed one and only attempted two. So it went from six to two. So it's one of those things where potentially players were underutilised in this system. Obviously, Paul Pogba is a massive miss for Manchester United, the link between the midfield and attack. Maron Flaney played well for me uh, until the red cards, but he's not the he's not as good on the ball. He's very square. He's very backward, which opens up, um, you know, United for the City press, which they did quite well. And United were were stupid to play into City's hands in that respect. Stupid, silly. Uh, does that make Jose Mourinho stupid, Dave? No, no. I just think it's um, some of the players. Just the decision making at this level is a. There's a little bit to to be desired, to be quite honest, and I, you know I blame Mourinho for not playing, not trying Mickey through the middle again. I think that was um, one thing he could have done, but it's just some of these players just don't. You know, they're a little bit rash on the ball, and they need to be a little bit calmer, and that kind of broke United's attack in that second half. Mm. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine playing down the middle line. Hey, Mickey. Uh, Harman Sandu hey, rang in. Did United's woeful midfield? performance finally showed Pogba's worth to the team he brings control and he's able to feed attackers on a similar theme the Shining Ocean said will people finally acknowledge that Paul Pogba has been vital this season no, it's just something that as a, you know, as someone that watches United week in week out as anyone that watches United week in out you know that Paul Pogba is so vitally important to this team and this attack and he's you know still a very very young player so it's not a surprise it really isn't um, but I didn't think United played too bad I thought Ander Herrera was absolutely boss in central midfield once again he always is um, but he just, uh, you know, his game by numbers just uh, shows, you know, he's shooting, he's clearing, he's intercepting, he's blocking, he's making tackles. He made 12 tackles, six blocks. He's a central midfielder. He showed his performance again and, um, you know, got on the elbow, got on the wrong side of a Fernandinho push to the face again. Nico probably should have been sent off, right? Uh, definitely not. I, I, um, but I think you, you make some interesting points there with uh, talking about how United countered extremely well with a, a total of three shots, one on target, countered pretty well there. Um, but I think uh, Ender Heard probably didn't have the best central midfield performance, especially in comparison to his last performance in the league against Chelsea. I, I think if someone like as old as Yaya Toure is kind of showing you up in, in the central midfield department, you kind of need to have a look at yourself. But. Uh, it was actually on the other side of the pitch, Nico. It was Maron Fellaini's man, and I thought Maron Fellaini dominated him with that big afro. He dominated, yeah. No, I, I think... Uh, in the last think, 10 minutes, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, City... Or, uh, sorry, I think United set up well defensively to counter uh, Pep's favoured sort of uh, positional play. Um, sort of a 5-4-1 in defence at times to to counteract the positioning of, of uh, forwards in half spaces. So I, I thought it was a pretty good defensive performance overall from Manchester United, and I thought they did some things very well. But, um, you know, City finished a, a few chances there that 
could go in on any other day and, and we're talking about a different result. Mm. A win would have pretty much guaranteed a top four finish for Manchester City, though, Nico. Uh, not to be as it stands. I mean, uh, are you sweating a little bit on that on that top four finish? Are you feeling confident? Yeah, I feel pretty confident that that City will be able to finish within the top four. I think they have um, they have every capability to to go forward and and secure the rest of the games and secure the wins that they need to to be in the top four and finish. I think I think they'll finish third, um, and probably Liverpool will be the ones to drop out of the top four if a team are going to drop out of the top four. Um, and and a, it's a huge uh, positive now that I, you know I really didn't. It was unclear whether Gabriel Jesus, to the extent of his injury, you know, seeing him come back in this game and be uh, such such an effect just so early on, you know, scoring that offside goal, um, it's going to be a huge plus for Manchester City against really any opposition that they come up against. So. All those offside goals could really make a huge difference between now and <laughs> yeah, the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt really sorry. How's, uh, how's Liverpool doing with uh, Palace earlier this? So many snipes so. flying around. Just <laughs> guys right now. Okay, um, Nico, if the if Manchester City do finish third, you know, uh, what would be your assessment of Guardiola's first season at the club? Because I mean, we were talking about this on Monday, uh, being knocked out of the FA Cup ended any chance for silverware this season, meaning it is effectively Guardiola's worst season as a manager. How would you sort of evaluate how he's done in the Premier League? I think there's a there's a lot of things to be accounted for. There there's a lot of mistakes that that Guardiola made and and decisions that he could have made differently that probably could have affected uh, Manchester City season in a more positive way. Um, specifically, some of the decisions that he made against Arsenal. You know, I think he's largely at fault for the the result there, and, and City could have been in an FA Cup final, which would have been a huge positive. You know, for our season going forward. Um, and really the season as a whole. But, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of moving pieces that affected Guardiola's first season. And, um, you know, although I think it can definitely be classified as a bit of a disappointment, there's a lot to be positive about going forward. Um, you know, there were some huge misses this season. You know, Gabriel Jesus had a, had a flying start, and then he had, was out injured. Ilkay Gundogan was such a key member of that entire system and formation that Guardiola wanted to play. And him to miss the entire year is, is such a, a critical part. You know, someone like Yaya Toure, being as old as he is, playing as much as he does, is really sort of a telling, um, I guess, a, a telling factor as to both what Pep needs in a central midfielder and also how poorly the club have done to replace some of those uh, aging stars like um, Toure and Silva and Zabaleta and, and some of those other players that are seeing a lot of minutes this season. Mm. Uh, point potentially... Good result for Manchester United, Dave. I mean, they're only a point behind City now, two behind Liverpool uh, with a game in hand, of course. Maran Fellaini, though, could be could he be a big miss? I mean, the question coming in from Run It Like Rashford on Twitter, him missing the next three games, is it a blessing in disguise, is what he's asking, Dave. Mm, I don't think so. He's, he's been all right this season. He's you know he plays his role well when he's assigned a certain role, you know, and he did quite well against City, but I think it's just the injuries as well stacking up. In central midfield, whether Wayne Rooney's going to make an appearance again, um, with you know Fossey Mensah out injured, it's, it's getting really thin. You know, is Tuinzebi going to play central midfield? Is Luke Shaw going to have a go in there? Valencia back? I don't know. Daily Blind, maybe that could be quite interesting. But I think you know the injuries are racking up for Manchester United, and is a little bit of a worry. Let's move on, shall we? Nico, you want to stick around for the rest of the podcast? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I like it. You got nothing to do for an hour or so. Just join, join us. Oh, why okay. not? Um, Brilliant. Let's talk about Tottenham. Brave Tottenham. Uh, going away to Crystal Palace, but securing so hard-earned three points, Lawrence. It was a must-win game, you know. Spurs coming off that disappointing exit in the FA Cup semi-final at the weekend at the hand of Chelsea. People were doubting them, you know. They were saying, do they have the mentality to win this game against the genius that is Big Sam? And yet, 
they did, Lawrence. And they're in the yeah. hunt for the title. Um, did you manage Oof. to catch this one, Lawrence? I mean, from an outside perspective, what did you make of this one? Uh, I mean, it was... It's one of those performances most, most people retrospectively get this one out of the way. Most people retrospectively will say, oh, that was a title-winning performance, wasn't it? Ooh. They ground out that 1-0. Yeah, very much so. Um, very much so. Because, because of the, the way that I think he also um, set out the team. Uh, I, I was actually really, uh, to be honest, I was less impressed with uh, Palace and I thought Palace could have made more of uh, the resources I've, mm. in many ways I think Pochettino's become very good at cancelling out other teams in the league even better than he was earlier on in the season um, and I think when two teams who are very good at cancelling the other out play each other this is probably the result that you get um, it was a great moment from Christian Eriksen and oh. uh, he did very well I think the biggest concern for uh, Palace fans are going to be the loss of Mamadou Sacco and possibly that's the same for Liverpool fans and also um, the fact that Christian Menteke was subbed off late um, for Fraser Campbell, so um, it's quite you know, a switch. Quite a switch there. Quite, quite the switch. Yeah. Um, it was uh, it was a good win. Though. I think it's it was interesting how you know uh, Wanyama was withdrawn at half time because he was already in yellow. Maybe you should have seen red in that first half. Musa Dembele also coming off, uh, and Deli Ali. Deli Ali came off later on, but. Yeah. At half time, withdrawing Dembele and Wanyama, I was a bit worried. I thought, you know, all the power and presence was going to be missing in midfield after that. Maybe Palace would be able to exert themselves again as they had done in the opening period. But Christian Eriksen shifted back to midfield, controlled the well, play after that. Why do you think they did sub Deli Ali so late? Because uh, do you think that was just a time wasting thing? Uh, yeah, I think it was what the ninety third minute that they. It was the ninety. It was ninety sixth minute, mate. Yeah, ninety sixth minute. Yeah. Trying to run down the clock. I think <laughs> yeah. at that point, you know, it was seven minutes of injury time. You got to try and run down the clock as best you can. You keep running. Um, yeah. But I mean, you mentioned that goal from Christian Eriksen. I thought overall his performance was superb. As I'm saying, he moved deeper into midfield when Wanyama and Dembele were withdrawn. He was playing alongside Eric Dyer, and he controlled the game after that. I think you know he has been a frustrating player in the past at Tottenham, but he's added consistency to his game now which has you know uh, seen his contribution increase you know I think it's five goals and 11 assists in 13 games in 2017 so it's been valuable in our run this year it's eight games in a row now that I, was very, in the league. I, was, I was very impressed with how Milivojevic managed to shut that midfield down for Spurs well apart from the crucial moment when yeah I mean you know what I mean but title race is back on Lawrence once again is it? No, the tie race is over. I'm, I don't like this. Either way, mate, I'm, I'm not going to be upset either way. We've made a documentary about both of them, so whoever yeah. you want to back. That's the important thing. That's um, the important thing. We've documented Dave, both. In that opening sort of 20 minutes, half an hour, when Palace uh, looked dangerous and looked lively, um, most of the source of that was from one player, Wilfried Zahar, I thought. Looked very good, looked very uh, dangerous on the pitch. Of course, uh, maybe an audition for Spurs last night. Uh, talk of the club <laughs> signing him. Of course, they made a £21 million bid last summer. Allardyce after the match saying, you know, this guy is now worth as much as £40 million. I mean, that's that's a bargain, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, an absolute bargain. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think he's worth that uh, rather large price tag? Absolutely not. £40 million for Wilfred Zaha. When players like Nicholas Schuller are going to buy Munich for 25 million euros. <laughs> it's a joke, man. The market's gone You've got to be joking. Do you not, I think do you, do you not rate him as a player, Dave? You know, former Manchester no, United lacks, uh, star. I think he lacks intelligence. I think he's a Europa League player. I think that's his peak. If Ouch. you want to have a Europa League player, that's fine. Perfect. I don't think he's got that extra 
killer instinct. I don't think he has the the nous to play in a proper rigid tactical system, which again, maybe the making of him at Spurs, whether he can play Pochettino's way, because arguably he can't. You know, he didn't make it under Louis van Gaal, who had a similar pressing system and pressing scheme. So it's one of these things where he suits where he is. He suits playing for a smaller team where he can counter-attack with a space for him to break, and he doesn't suit playing for a Spurs where it's playing against a deep block Time week in week, you know, week in week out, he's a perfect player for Liverpool. Another player that's not going to be able to break a deep block. Yeah, he's also notorious for limiting creative freedom as well, which I don't think Pochettino is. I mean, so it's it's all well and good saying that he he failed at Man United in a pressing system. I get that, but that was one facet of a a much larger game plan that didn't suit Zaha at all, and he wasn't given a huge chance either. (laughs) <laughs> but I think I think the more important thing is dealing with defences that sit deep. And when he plays with Palace, when they sit deep, he's allowed to counter-attack into space that Spurs, Liverpool, whoever will afford him, at Manchester United, at Tottenham, teams are evidently going to sit deeper. Thus, he won't have much space to run into and accelerate and so forth. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah, but he's good in one-on-one, so he's a good dribbler. But then he's, he's, he's not like, a kick-and-run kind of guy either. He's, a, but then he's if got you, some tricks. The problem with Wilfred Zaha is his decision-making. When he beats one man, he goes to take on another man. If you're doing that against someone that's sitting deep, they're just going to get numbers back. The central midfielder will come over, the left midfielder will be there, the left back will be there, and Zaha will be just running into a cul-de-sac. And I think all that was ultimately his problem is his decision-making mm. at that point in the final third. It's an interesting and for Spurs, it assessment. needs to be smart. I think you've dampened my enthusiasm a little bit, Dave. Interesting sort of comparison between the, the be, styles I, almost. I always thought it was a little bit of a weird... Uh, one because I mean I'm I'm sort of caught between, between what Kristen's saying and what Dave's saying you know I think I do think Wilfred Zahari was there for a reason maybe I mean it's unusual maybe he has sort of found his um, level at Palace a lot of people think uh, they that he could go further he's sort of at a make or break point now I think he's I know I know he was 23 not so long ago so he might be 24 now but um, he's sort of at a make or point break point in his career now I think he needs a manager who's going to shape him and I worry a little bit that if it is Sam Allardyce then he might shape yeah. him into a player who can no longer take that jump to another level and mm. I would love to see a manager like Pochettino get his, get his hands on him and maybe try it just it, it seems early on like it was actually quite damaging for Zaha to go and oh, sit definitely. under um, under um, such a terrible, tyrannical regime <laughs> as Manchester United's David Moyes, I think I think it would be a very good option. I suppose we need to add quality. We need to add depth to our squad next season. I think someone like Zaha, be it starting, be it coming off the bench, would be uh, would be a fantastic option. But it remains to be seen whether he does move. Forty million is a lot of money, of course. Spurs have also been linked with. Douglas Costa, who might be that sort of price tag. So be interesting to see if uh, if the club weigh it up and which way they go with that. For now, though, Spurs are second. Uh, of course, this weekend is the North London derby uh, against an Arsenal side coming off morale-boosting back-to-back wins, not only in the FA Cup semi-final at the weekend, but now in the league with a somewhat fortunate victory over Leicester. Uh, some doubt, though, as to whether Alexis Sanchez is going to be fit for this game, Nico. He's uh, struggling to struggle for lip injury is what I've heard. He uh, apparently wow. suffered a rather, rather nasty uh, impact there. A lip injury, that's that's a very interesting one. But I think, you know, um, I actually recorded a podcast with a Tottenham fan earlier today, and, and just to get the... How horrible for you. <laughs> just to get the sort of mood uh, <laughs> mood before the uh, before, before the the North London Derby. I think this is a, this is one that a lot of Spurs fans are excited for, considering the progress of the club and how consistent they have been in sort of moving in a in an upward direction, as opposed to you know the, the consistency that they've held in the past as sort of being the the perennial side outside of the top six. Um, so I, I think a, a lot of Tottenham fans should 
be able to look forward to this game and say, you know, that they have the upper hand. It's just really uh, up to, to Pochettino in terms of uh, the tactics that he chooses to employ as to how they'll do on the day. If Spurs win this game, they will officially finish above Arsenal for the first time in 22 years. That would be so good. Wouldn't Big that would be such a good um, way to get there. Mauricio Pochettino talking after the Palace game, you know, our aim should be bigger. We're looking upwards towards the league title. We're not looking at this sort of thing. But I think for Spurs fans, it is, uh, it is a big marker. It is a big milestone to do that. Imagine Arsenal so fans TV on that night. Yeah, that would definitely be interesting. I'm feeling confident, but at the same time, you know, uh, there's always a, a worry at the back of your mind with Spurs that, uh, you know, losing this one to Arsenal, uh, the confidence could take hit. Having said that, I mean, Dave, how do you think Wenger should set up against Spurs to get the best result? Sticking with that back three? Yeah, I think so. I think if Spurs are playing a back three, I think you should match it. I think that's one of the ways to do it. I think if Chelsea lost to Spurs um, around January time when they both played the same system and Spurs played it a little bit more narrow than um, Chelsea did. And that kind of played into Spurs' hands. It's played into them holding the ball, retaining possession in the better areas, the likes of Ericsson and Dele Alli floating in that zone. The interesting part about Arsenal is they'll play it in the same way. So it'll be a real contrast of exactly the same system where it will be this narrow front three or there's probably, you know, the one, the striker and the two attacking midfielders in behind. So it will be a real battle of the fullbacks. And considering that uh, Oxo Chamberlain's been in good form with the ball in that situation, could be a really interesting moment if obviously Danny Rose is still out injured, right? So it's not going to be Son after his performance against Chelsea. Would it be Ben Davis? Ben Davis versus Chamberlain. I'm probably going to go with Chamberlain winning that. So it's going to be a massive battle of the wing-backs because I think all over the pitch, they'll just be cancelling each other out with the press in. It'll be quite a, you know, an aggressive battle. And if Arsenal can win the battle down the flanks, that's where the game's won. I'd like to point out that I think Alexis Sanchez is going to be fine. I was just, I was trying to do a banter. Um, he got the no, it was, ball it was, thrown it was his great. face. Was it the ball it thrown his face that actually... Gave him the busted lip, or was it? He got Didn't clad. that happen to you today, Boltwood? Uh, it did, mate. It did. <laughs> it did indeed. I know just how Alexis Sanchez feels. Got the ball pelted out of his side. Well, he's played through a lot more, though, in the past. Like, he's literally played through groin injuries and, and calf injuries. No, so no, a lip injury. You a can't, lip injury wouldn't can't. do much. You know? I think that's at least I love, I love three all months those, on the uh, sideline. I love all those rugby dickheads who come out all the time and go, well, who, who rolls around on the floor when they get something, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, mate leave it out just... i think alexis sanchez was having a bit of fun as well people are like oh it's pathetic alexis sanchez look at you know trying to get sympathy for swollen lip i think he's he's having a little bit of fun with it personally um anyway let's move swiftly on uh from predicting spurs to comfortably win the north london derby to sunderland chris uh, middlesbrough beating the black cats 1-0 last night it was their first win of 2017 leaving David Moyes' side on the brink of relegation. The end of Sunderland in the Premier League by the looks of it, Dave. By the looks of it, Chris. But is it the end of David Moyes? The fans seem to have well and truly turned on him. It's got so bad, they're even chanting Roy Keane's name in the stands. I think they've been against him for a while. And I understand why, because he's a really poor uh, coach. I think he's not very expansive. He's also pretty useless when it comes to media handling. And... They're in for a difficult season in the championship, presuming they go down. And I don't think he inspires anyone. So it, it's it's really not what they want. And I can understand why, because they've seen their great rivals go down. And the one thing that I think helped Newcastle through some difficult periods of this season was the fact everyone kind of clubbed together behind Benitez and the players. At the minute, there's actually, I would say, quite a strong separation between 
fans and, and players and staff at the minute because maybe bar Jermaine Defoe and um, Pickford, there's not many really well liked from, from what I can, can see and read. Um, they didn't play very well against Middlesbrough and, and when you consider the derbies, I know it's not the derby for, for Sunderland fans, but a derby is usually where they managed to raise their game a bit and perform and they were just poor. Middlesbrough weren't massively better. I think both will go down realistically. Uh, but the the truth of the situation for Sunderland is it doesn't seem like they have a huge plan uh, in place at the minute, which I don't think... The, the thing is, I, I don't think it takes a, a massive amount of soul-searching to devise something that could help them next season. It, it's just whether they actually choose to, to do it. Brad Usher asking on Twitter, could Moyes bring Sunderland up on the first time of asking? If not, who should they appoint? Any ideas, Chris? No, I don't think Moyes can, first and foremost. I don't think he is comfortable taking the game to a team. And if you want to go up, especially because Sunderland next season will be a little bit of a scalp when the season starts. I mean, that will fluctuate depending on how they do. Um, As for who to get, I was talking, funny if I was talking to someone at Sunderland today, um, and I said whichever one of Fulham or Huddersfield doesn't go up, pretty much throw money at them. Um, but if I had a choice, I'd probably go for Wagner, because I think Jukanovic's style with Fulham is brilliant to watch. It's absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if that squad is very well built as it stands to, to facilitate that kind of football, even more so when the players come out. Whereas Wagner's is kind of rooted in being organised, being quite athletic and and bullish, and I think that fits the group of players there. All positive stuff at Sunderland. Uh, finally, in the Premier League this midweek, Chelsea beating Southampton four two at Stamford Bridge. Comfortable win, Lawrence. Chelsea march on, etc., etc. Diego Costa finding form at the right time though would be a perfect way for him to potentially sign off at the club, rediscovering his scoring touch and firing them to the Premier League title. And increasing that fee to China. Oh, I mean, slap, slap more on it. Well, they can pay 60, 70, surely. Uh, yeah, but I guess the question is, who do you get to replace him? Not a bad question. Morata? Potentially. Um, Dave, I mean, we were talking about this earlier. Is there anyone you think uh, potentially alongside Alvaro Did Morata? Did you see each other earlier? Oh, yeah, we saw each other earlier. Really. Um, Dave, what do you reckon? Potential hmm. striker replacement for Diego Costa. Morata could be a really interesting proposition in the Premier League. He's got it all, got all the raw materials, very you know, good in the air, very, very quick, strong, physical, can finish. He scored uh, the joint most non-goals from the penalty spot at Real Madrid this season. You know, if this count penalties, he's joint with Ronaldo on 13 goals in La Liga, considering he's only played just over a 1,000 minutes. He's been pretty insane. He's sort of the, the, he leads the line of the Real Madrid B team, as I like to call them. You know, when Zidane wants to rotate his side, you know, he's Deportivo La Coruña. They played last night, beat them 6-2. Another fantastic performance from Isco. Isco's the guy that you want to get, to be quite honest, out of this Real Madrid B team. He's the one that's making everything tick. You know, Hamid Rodriguez is a top, top quality player. And Will, you know, his next move's going to, he's going to be a fantastic player. But Isco kind of is the guy that Real Madrid shouldn't lose. I think Hammers is expendable, but if they lose Isco, that's a big, big mistake. So if I were Chelsea, I'd go for, if they're going to lose Costa, if they're going to lose Hazard, I'd go for Isco and Morata. That's going to be a perfect combination, potentially with um, Conte going to a, maybe a 3-5-2. Could really work out. So it's one of these things where um, I think it's all about evaluating what Chelsea want to do next season, how they want to set up. 
Uh, Nico, do you want to speculate as to uh, any potential targets Chelsea should be looking at with their potential 60 million windfall coming in for Diego Costa? I think um, it'd be, I, I don't know if the player would be keen to it, but but Lukaku would certainly be a, an adequate replacement for Diego Costa, if not a better one. Um, it's just as to whether the, the player would want, want to revisit that, that part of his past. Apparently he um, does, apparently he does. And, and I think there there really are only two clubs um, both with the opening, I guess, within their first team and the uh, monetary ability to afford someone like him. But, you know, I, you know, giving Batshuayi's performance, uh, giving Batshuayi's performance in the FA Cup against Tottenham, he was he was pretty good. So I just couldn't understand why you wouldn't want to promote someone like him from from, I guess, your reserve sides. The, the hope for uh, for Spurs fans up and down the country, Chris, is the Chelsea have conceded in their last 11 games. They haven't kept a clean sheet since January. I mean, speaking of Lukaku, do you think maybe Chelsea could drop points at Everton on Sunday? All going well, Spurs winning the North London derby. The gap is one point, Chris. Is it going to happen? That's that's a lot of uh, stars aligning. Um, well, hypothetical is that, I agree. Yeah, it is. That's... that's... I, I feel so bad for Spurs in, in, in a lot of ways because I, I sometimes feel as if they're held to an unfair standard because if if they lose at the weekend, I think everyone will turn around and say, so that's typical Spurs. And it, it's really not a fair reflection on the season that I think they've had. Whether Chelsea can, can lose at Everton... It's difficult because I think I think yes I, I think Lukaku matches up really well against their centre backs. Um, I think if he was to get up against David Luiz, it's the kind of matchup where Luiz will make mistakes, in my opinion. Um, as for the the rest of things, they're a little bit flighty for me, Everton. That's I, I never feel confident predicting their games be, at the minute because they're not as good away from home as they are at home. I think that's the positive I'm trying to take if I'm a Spurs fan looking at this. I think they are a much better side at home. And for that reason, I'm, I'm going to say yes. I'm, I'm going to say your perfect weekend happens then. One point. The gap's going to be one point. That would be... Uh, oh, that would be good. Confirming that we're going to finish with Arsenal. One point in the table. Oh, sensational. I think uh, it's an interesting point you raised though because Spurs now have already achieved a record... <laughs> Spurs have already achieved their record points tally in the Premier League with, what, five games to go? So I think that in and of itself Stop is a fantastic now, achievement. Stop now. But I think, you know... It, it means that next season you can break it again. Yeah. But, you know, I think that is a great achievement. And I think Spurs have, is it their fifth or sixth highest wage bill in the Premier League? So that they are punching above their weight. So I think it's viewed for a prism, like you say, Chris, of if they lose, oh, their mentality has always been weak. It's very Spursy of them. I was sort of getting those vibes in the first half when you know things weren't going Spurs' way against Palace. They started slowly. I'm not sure it's a hundred percent fair assessment. I think the 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 lens through which we're viewing Spurs this season is slightly skewed. It's been a tremendous season. Um, but if they kind of, I, I do think Ericsson is so central to things at the minute, though. Yeah, I, I know, and uh, I think I think you can get caught in the trap of saying, well, this person's a talisman and this person's a talisman. What I've noticed with Ericsson is this season, I think he's almost shifted up a gear. He's always been a really brilliant player. David Priest, um, 
who's a must follow on Twitter, wrote a really good piece about him because he was actually with Ericsson at Odense in Denmark. And and he talked about how precocious he was even then, kind of making an absolute mug out of David, which I thought was very um, honest of him to, to write about. But the thing with Ericsson is it just seems to make them tick. And I, th- I think it's one of those things where you really have to study what he does because not everything will be that goal from 35 yards but I guarantee everything will be a positive action. And if you look at the game against Chelsea where they lost, I think part of the reason they did was because Eriksen was knocked off a little bit. I think he got ruffled a little bit physically because he's, he's obviously not made for that kind of game. And I think once he lost his head a little bit, I think Spurs kind of started to, to crack and creak a little bit because of it. No, I 100% agree. Like I say, he added, he's added consistency to his game this season and... When you look at Ericsson, as you say, he doesn't always get the assist or goals. Which, although he is doing that in 2017, you know he has become one of Spurs' most vital players. He's always playing the pass before the goal. Almost, he's always vital in the build-up to uh, to Spurs' attacking play. But enough of Spurs, enough of Ericsson, enough of the Premier League. Let's move on to my favourite part of the show. It's time for the questions, and there are some good ones. And there are some. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Questions. Attention. Attention. Good questions. Right. Um, let's start off with the best question this week. Um, we might have to revisit it later on. Just maybe get the juices flowing and start thinking about this one. Carlos Zaldivar went straight in there. Next level question. This is kind of deep, but what is the worst decision you've ever made in your life? Oh, oh, I think I know Dave's. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, Dave's spoken for. We'll come back to the rest of you at the end of the episode. Um, moving swiftly on, uh, Joe I Hampton. I think it's going to look good. Writes um, in. We'll, we'll come on to that. We will come on to that. Uh, Joe Hampton writes in. He says, "What are your thoughts on the Joey Barton situation? 
uh, of course, in the reference to yesterday's slow news day. Uh, Joe Barton yesterday being suspended by the Football Association for 18 months on betting charges. Uh, the 34-year-old accepting the charges that accused him of having placed 1,260 bets on football matches between 2006 and 2013, uh, including at least five matches in which he was a player. Uh, in light of the ban, you know, Barnes come out, he sort of disputed the severity of the punishment, which he says is likely to end his career being the age that he is. He's going to launch an appeal, reportedly. But it has, Lawrence, sort of brought up this whole conversation about the wider involvement of gambling and its relationship with the full industry you know some are seeing this ban and the 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 severity of it is hypocritical you know given the the link between football and the gambling industry Barn himself came out and sort of said you know i think if the fa is truly serious about tackling the culture of gambling in football he needs to take a look at his own dependence on the gambling companies their role in football and in sports broadcasting rather than just blaming the players who place a bet you know, he himself saying he's fought a gambling addiction during the period in question. Obviously, very interesting topic of debate. No easy answers. Some are sort of accusing Joey Barton of absolving himself of responsibility in his response to the to the the punishment. I mean, what are your thoughts on this this whole situation, Lawrence? I mean, it's very difficult to uh, how you frame an addict in the first place because you know, um, I think the terms laced with a lot of um, a, a lot of a lot of heavy ideas that come with it um and so i think there's been a lot of maneuvering behind the scenes to move barton into a place where he can do this um and you know looking at using him as a figurehead for the game and i know a lot of people behind the scenes whether that you know whether he's a very popular figure sort of in front of the camera on the pitch um i think a lot of people behind the scenes appreciate the times when barton has um acknowledged his own failings and sort of been one of the very sort of human um, relatable players and helped some people with their own problems. So I, I don't think he's the the terrible bad guy that everyone maybe wants him to play. Um, or Maybe the problem with Joey is that he puts himself at the middle of all of these things. Um, and so he, the, the problem is it's not so much whether he's good or bad, but that it's that he almost has to be the centre of attention on it. Um and that I think comes across maybe in in a bad way, uh, but then that's just one hot take. Um, overall, it, morally, uh, it's it's probably uh, possible to gamble and uh, you know gamble responsibly. Um, you know, as a lot of people say, you know, that, that there's a very fine line between gambling responsibly and um, you know the fine line tends to be whether you are making money or not. Um, this and for, is, that, for that reason, you'd say there's probably um, that, you know, it's too difficult to sort of have a point where someone can gamble well or not. You know, if mm. you're gambling, you're probably going to lose some money. You're probably going to win some money. Well, this is the, thing. the issue is that, though. It's, it's the problem that he's in the game. I, th- I think. I oh think no, no, abso- no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the point is with with him is that he bet against, um, you know, he bet against his own teammates not to score the first goal. He bet against it's situations that he could influence the outcome of. Um, I, th- I, th- I think, I think definitely you can you can, as a, as a standalone statement, say Joey Barton has a a problem with gambling. I think alongside that you can also say that the punishment he has received for doing that over twelve hundred times is just as much as it might pain him yeah, that his absolutely. career is now over. Yeah. 
and and I think the thing with betting and and football specifically, and people saying, well, this is a massive problem now. It's really not. The rules are very clear. They're very obvious. And if Barton had been done on some kind of, well, actually, you're not allowed to bet on horse racing or anything, then I could sort of understand if he'd been done on something that wasn't obvious and clear to all involved. But it really isn't. And I, I don't think any player with common sense would do that. That's the problem I have with Barton is I think he speaks very well, but I don't think he's intelligent. There's a key I, also, difference. I, also, I, th- I think he, he doesn't practice what he preaches very often. And that's the, the big problem with Joey is that he want, he seems to want to be someone who's part of the, the public discourse and yet doesn't seem to uh, understand what it takes to be able to do that very often. And it's quite sad because I think a lot of people do see someone. Actually, no, I, I don't see someone I particularly want to hear from. Um but uh, some people do and some people see him as that relatable figure. And I think a lot of people uh, feel the loss of what maybe Joey Barton could have been for some people. And he isn't that figure. And we should stop treating him as that figure because I think in many ways it plays into the overall theatre that um, enables some of these actions that then goes on. But that's, again, something that m- maybe comes across as judgmental. The, the point is that he bet ridiculously and um first of all, ridiculously badly, um, but also ridiculously in the sense that he... Um, he he sort of betting games that he was involved in it's not like it's it sort of goes oh oh am i oh am i involved with that one oh yeah uh, probably yeah uh oh yeah oh that's awkward um dave what has he bet i think he, he bet on uh when he was playing at manchester city to for georgie samaras to score first when he was in the game uh i think he also put money on himself to to score first but it was yeah. only it was only like a couple of quid or something like that. I think he'd he'd put. I think the, yes, mate. It's bet over four hundred quid on. Uh, he was only playing for Newcastle on an FA Cup tie, Newcastle versus Stevenage. He bet on for Newcastle to win, and they lost three one, which is pretty funny. That is. I think um, he did score the consolation goal though. Thankfully, I think it's interesting. I think you you make some really good points there, Lawrence. You as well, Chris, in terms of uh, how Joey Barton's. Uh, sort of reputation almost informs the the way we view this whole issue but i think there there is a headline tonight on the guardian that says experts warn of 12.6 billion scale of uk gambling problem that's the thing i think it's interesting it's brought up this debate but and then yeah but but you but again the problem is it's sort of framed in the barton light and I'm, i'm not quite sure that i appreciate that as um as a frame, I understand that you need like a figurehead or someone that's going to attract mm. those clicks. But um... I feel and I hope it's almost uh, this is what's brought it to light almost. But now it's sort of separate from Barton now because as Chris is saying, you know, he should sec- accept responsibility for betting on his own games. Obviously, that's an incredibly foolish thing to do. But now it's sort of talking about the wider problem of gambling in football. I mean, there's been calls for the Scottish FA to look at their links to the gambling industry. I think there's positive things coming out of it albeit Joey Barnes a source, which is probably never a good thing, but it's um it could potentially have some positive outcomes, which you know should uh, should be interesting to see. I think he's 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 he could become somewhat of a Lance Armstrong figure um in the industry if he's careful or not careful. Um in, right. As in like uh, m- maybe um a, a figure that some people will grow to resent. Um, I think he's already there. And if he if he does try and work his way back into the game, I I, I know I I think there's a lot of politicking behind this which we don't get to see. 
Um, and this is sort of, this feels to me more like a tip of an iceberg than, um, than something which we've, you know, has been grossly uncovered and everyone can uh, sort of look at because there's, oh, there's yeah. very little real coverage of this. He's going to develop. And, and we'll ultimately, more about can, we also, can we also ultimately acknowledge he's screwed a lot of people out of money as well um, in that. And, you know, maybe has tried to influence the results of games where he needs to... Um, there will have been regular people betting on these games where Joey's thought process will have been different purely because of his own benefit uh, mm. in those games. Oh, no, definitely. Um, speaking of screwing people out of money, Newcastle United and West Ham United on Wednesday uh, were at the centre of a controversy of their own, Chris. Uh, Jamie mm. says, what is going on with these two clubs? Ah, as he eloquently puts it. Um, <laughs> All <laughs> H- he was tweeting us. <laughs> so that's the only explanation. Uh, HMRC um, raided the stadium offices of both clubs on Wednesday, arrested Lee Charnley, uh, the Newcastle managing director. Uh, Sylvan Marveau, the former Newcastle player, was also arrested and questioned by French law enforcement officers in connection with the same investigation with regards to suspected tax and national insurance fraud, uh, France's National Financial Office revealing in a statement that the UK authorities suspect hidden payments to certain players, their agents, or third parties, allowing them to invade, invade, <laughs> allowing them to evade income taxes and social security contributions. Murky business, Chris. We're not quite sure 100% what's going on yet. It's obviously very early in this story. So let's guess. <laughs> yeah, so let's wildly speculate. This is what, this is what we... Um, but those, that's the information we know. It's, it's certainly unsettling. I think um, I say that firmly with my fan hat on, if, if I'm truthful. I, I can't speak massively to, to West Ham. I think Chelsea are involved at all, or at least they said they were helping with inquiries. Um which Newcastle have, have since said they do they were doing too. Um, it's funny because there was a list of how much each club was spending on agents, and, and Newcastle's was firmly low, um, or fairly low, excuse me. And and I'm starting to wonder now, retrospectively, if there was a reason it was fairly low. I, I think it's pretty murky. The one. Because there's a lot of potential speculation about what this will mean in terms of point deductions, relegations, demotions, all that kind of stuff. I have a sneaking suspicion that one of the arguments presented may be that Mike Ashley was not directly involved and had appointed people such as Lee Charney to oversee these things. And so while ignorance, I believe, is not mitigation in court, it may see the people who were orchestrating these alleged acts punished more than the football club or Mike Ashley. The one thing that is, I think, guaranteed as fact, though, is that this will take a long time to reach a conclusion. This is not something that is likely to to have a, a finish point in the near future. Very interesting indeed. Um, also very interesting, Herman Sandu says... What are Lawrence's thoughts on Robbie's comments on the Long Ball Street podcast? I'm sure he has heard them. Now, I'm not 100% sure what he's referencing here, Lawrence. Um, are you? It's not anything new. These, these uh, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people in the industry. 
about this and uh, I spoke about it with Hugh Wizzy on the True Geordie podcast um, and um, yeah, I mean I, you know there's not very much more to say than I think um, you know fan, fan channels are at a, they're not at a turning point um, but they need to move themselves forward and evolve and um, you know I wasn't I don't think I, I was very personal in my comments but was, was, I think what, was what, Robbie disagreeing I, with that uh, um, point of view? Or? I don't really know what Robbie was. It was hard, kind of hard to work out what Robbie was actually saying. Um, it was just more that uh, Robbie... So it seems like Robbie's stance is if you're not doing it, then you can't comment on it. Um, and if you don't go to every match, then you can't comment on it. Um, I'm sure that sound, that's... A ridiculous perspective even then that he would probably refute but um out of respect to uh, robbie and a few other people i'm just gonna say um uh, yeah i i i've asked some i've asked some perfectly legitimate questions and they still don't get answered and i think most of the time People uh, talk about collaboration on YouTube and they talk about, um, you know, being open and it being a platform where you see everything and you let everything hang out. Um, but the, second, the second that we question those things or the second that we um, wonder whether that is the truth, I think a lot of people uh, are found wanting. Mm. It's an interesting one. I'm going to have to listen to both the Long Ball Street podcast and... Uh, if, if I may, briefly, you're in for you're in for a very long three hours, then, mate. Um, if I may briefly, I, th I think one of the issues here with fan channels period is they have arrived onto the media landscape in a way that is entirely self-created. So there's been no one to keep in check. Is perhaps a dismissive turn of phrase. More regulate things. And so it's been a little bit Wild West. And I think for then people who aren't involved, and I don't think Lawrence has tried to regulate, but I think for someone to come in who's not part of that sphere and say, well, actually, I think you should be doing it like this or like that, someone like Robbie's going to get offended and I think take it as them not respecting his craft. I think, I think, um, I th okay, let, let, let me be perfectly clear. I think... What I was saying was, I do get insight. I do see how YouTube channels work. Um, I have been on both sides of the camera on a on a fan channel, on many fan channels, and um, I have seen how those have worked. I shot, edited, and uploaded the first ever YouTube uh, video for Ball Street and beyond that. I've done many hours of editing and work on fan channels and fan channel content. And in my experience and from the perspective I come from, I agree with Chris. I think it's unregulated and I think it poses a threat to what most people hide behind as the idea of freedom of speech, which most people seem to think is just allowing people to say things. Mm. Um, and at the same time, I think, um, we are in an industry where uh, where any again we're in England and we're in an industry where if you want to have any sort of uh, informed debate very often you're going to get shut down very quickly mm -hmm. because that's not the way it works around here you don't go to the football week in week out um, I wonder yeah. if we could have I think, 
And if I'm completely honest, I thought Robbie was quite uh, it was quite disrespectful in the way that he spoke about me. Um, and I think he was quite dismissive of someone who asked perfectly legitimate questions. But I've, you know, <sighs> if I'm honest, I would, there could I would be a admit, bonus podcast, you know, a little debate, a nice discussion amongst us. Um, it, it, it's not. Could. I mean, let's mm-hmm. put it, let's put it this way, Adam. It's not through lack of trying to speak publicly and privately with these people. Um, and I just what I got was a little bit sick of waiting for everyone to reply. And I got a little bit sick of being told by the same people over and over again. Oh, let's not talk about that. Basically, because they see a cash cow and it's the same as the KSI situation. And we know what happened with KSI in the end. So I'm not saying that what, what JJ is going through is terrible. What JJ is going through is, you know, it's his own personal thing. But the point is, with KSI in the end, he decided to self-regulate um, and you know, we, I guess we're sort of hoping that something similar happens on fans. Although that's, it'll be that's very part unfair of the problem, though, is that with another with you know the rest of the time. That's part of the the problem. Listening to it though was actually to hear some of Robbie's uh, repost was to hear him say, "Well, you know, tell me when Lawrence goes to all the Liverpool games." Like that really matters. I, you can stack up how many games you've been to all you want, but it doesn't really make you right or wrong. And Honestly, my only issue with Robbie is that when he frames the the USP and the benefit of fan channels, he often does it against traditional media, and he proliferates a lot of ignorance towards traditional media. Talks about journalists getting driven there by their cars and free tickets and all that. Like it, this it, it if I'm honest, it got under my bonnet a little bit because this week ESPN just laid off a bunch of writers, some of who were friends of mine, and I think. There's this sort of, I can say, I think Lawrence put it quite well, I can say whatever I want and no one's allowed to say anything because that's freedom of speech. It's really not. Everyone's entitled to response to what you say. You're just allowed the platform to have your opinion. And there's, there is, it applies very much, I think, to football media at this present stage. Is a lot of people have confused what freedom of speech actually means. <laughs> As a great man once said, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. You know who said that, Dave? Yeah. Superman, Spider-Man, Uncle Ben, no Spider-Man, Uncle Ben, from the rice advert, the rice guy, yeah, that's the one. Credit to your rice. Moving on, can we can we just finish on? I I genuinely would love to have a chat with Robbie, and generally I think that most people would do better to to listen to each other. I don't think I think the issue is that you know extend the olive branch. That's the step, realistically, because again, I have a lot of love for the the people at Ball Street. I text them fairly regularly, work with them in the past. But if you've got Robbie sitting in a room with people who work with him, it's just going to be an echo chamber. You need to sit down with different opinions in the same room instead of firing off an opinion, they fire off, and it just goes back and forth. I think I, I had a lot of fundamental problems with the replies that I heard on that podcast. And I think, um, uh, it was dis. I think a lot of what was said about me was disingenuous on the podcast. I'll put it that way. I sound like I'm taking myself incredibly seriously, but I don't. What I don't. What I do take seriously is um, people who talk about, uh, who say, "Don't talk about me when you don't know," and then proceed to talk about other people when they don't know. We. You know? We've got to move on because people really don't like it when we talk about Arsenal fan TV. And, yeah, you're uh, right. Yeah, yeah. That's a good it point. was a great question. You, you sent in the question. We just answered the question. You know, um, I, I didn't send the question, Adam. That's not my second account. <laughs> we've got a great question here from Varun Joshi, uh, friend of the podcast, long time listener. He says, "Who is the coach of the year for you in the Premier League and also in Europe's top five leagues?" He's gone for Conte and Jardine. 
um, Nico, come to you first. Give me a coach of the year in the Premier League and among Europe's other top five leagues. Coach of the year in the Premier League, uh, probably probably say it would be Conte. The way that he's been able to assess the culture of the Premier League, which is something that I think I've underestimated in the past. But speaking to different people with different viewpoints, I think um, you know some people have made some very interesting comments and, and introduced me to some uh, a different aspect to it. And I think the approach that he took was was measured and calculated and um, brilliant to to really uh, base his team around a point of defense and accentuate the qualities of his best players. And uh, being able to do so so well has only spoken to his credit as to how good of a manager he is. Um, the second part of that was the manager, the best manager in Europe, was it? Yeah, among the other top leagues in Europe, who's your top manager? I think uh, Maurizio Sarri has to be in there, though I don't appreciate um, what I believe were some fairly homophobic comments that he made earlier in the season. So, um, But the, the, the work that he's done there... Um, so just to be clear, me, you're endorsing those comments? No, not, not, right. not at all. Um, we spoke about him. He's not pragmatic enough. That's his problem. <laughs> he's a, Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, as well as, as, as long as the... I think they like to be called true. LGBT now. <laughs> um, with, with the comments that he made, the, the the work that he's done on the field there at Napoli has to be admired. Uh, I, I will toss Allegri in there. Um, I think he's probably been one of the best managers um, in Europe this season. So, so I'll, I'll actually go with that. I'll go with Allegri. Good shouts all round, Chris. Who's just your, to talk uh, some actual football there instead of just the Lawrence McKenna podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the snipes keep coming. Um, Chris, who's your uh, who's your picks? Um, Nagelsmann maybe just because of the fact that it's his, his kind of so early in his career and he seems to have taken to it so well and, and adapted so well um, in the Premier League it's much of a muchness at this point I think they're all very good um, I've actually been quite impressed with a few championship coaches that we've touched on Yukanovic Wagner, I think they've got Premier League potential in them. So yeah, probably they're the ones that stick out to me in the middle. Dave, hear me. Well, Adam, this this could be like a fifteen minute section. Um, yeah, we're talking like in terms of number one, I think I think Yardim took a very big decision um, yesterday. They, Monaco were playing PSG in the Coupe de France uh, semi final, in fact. And basically, what he did was he just went in the press conference. Was like, I'm just going to completely change this team. I'm going to play loads of youngsters um, to keep my lads fresh. Apparently, Monaco that was Monaco's 56th game of the season. They started in July in the Champions League third round qualifying. So for me, Yardim taking that step to push for the league and a title and the Champions League is very ballsy. Take, you know, he's a young manager, and that's you know, amongst everything else, the style of football, how far he's taken the, the, this group of young players. Yardim deserves it 100. percent In terms of the Premier League, it's got to go to Big Sam Allardyce. Absolutely perfect. Uh, Lawrence um, in terms of Premier League uh, let's go uh, wait is this someone who's been innovative or just someone who's been good just who is your coach of the year so uh, open to interpretation you know what I'll steal your thunder I'm going to go Pochettino <sighs> God damn it. Um, um, and uh, Luis Enrique oh I love it just um, for sheer bounce back ability um, gotta go it, <laughs> gotta go with Luis Enrique what a manager he's had a great season um, I'm hard to disagree with Jardim for Monaco fantastic season especially um, if they make it through to the final it'll be an incredible story and then the Premier League's got to be Pochettino you know he's... I mean, it's, 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 it's 
Yeah, yeah. So Chris, you just wait for Chris to. Just wait for Chris to. Do you want anything from the shop, Chris? Yeah, Chris, you're not on me, mate. Chris, try the kitchen. Am I editing this out? Oh crap! Was I on mute? Was I unmuted there? Yeah, try the kitchen, mate. Try the kitchen, man. Yeah, what a wanker living with other people. Those motherfuckers. Uh, Mauricio Zidane's a good shout. Zidane, mm, I think, you know what, do you mm. know what? I've got that Zidane history. Zidane is an of, excellent shout. But what if, right, they lose the league title? Let's say hypothetically they lose the league title and get knocked out by Atletico in the semi finals. I don't know, mate. I, I think a lot of pe- Yeah, but a lot of people don't seem to see how difficult it is to manage at Real Madrid. Oh, I yeah, think managing and balancing all of that was shown. I mean, did it last season. But, I mean, you know, tactically, then out on the pitch to be able to lose certain key uh, figures of this squad, um, transition Ronaldo into um, a, not a relatively new position, but into, into a more central role um, and consistently uh, reshape the midfield is still quite impressive and bring the best out of some of these players. Let's be completely honest. I think he's he's, if I can just speak to that quickly um as Dave and I have spoken to before I think he's the best manager both on and off the field for Real Madrid in the sense that while Benitez someone like Benitez may have come in and made the correct tactical tactical decisions and personnel decisions you know he came in and tried to to really make the team about Gareth Bale because that's where he saw the future which I think is the correct decision he brought someone in um like Casimiro to the team a defensive midfielder that Real Madrid had been missing for a couple of years um, where he, as he made those decisions, he didn't have necessarily a pedigree or outward perception of both amongst the fans and, and with the, the rest of the board to make those decisions and have them stick. Whereas someone like Zidane can can make those decisions and people respect him enough. Um, Benitez to, didn't have a pedigree, mate. I, I'm not saying he didn't deservedly have it, but I'm saying like within the Spanish press, the Spanish press were extremely disrespectful to someone like Benitez, given everything that he's done, like you've rightly said. Um, and and even the right board. Fucking pedigree. I'll show you pedigree, mate. You try taking a club up first season after they've gone down. I've, right. I've pissed don't Lawrence get, off. Don't my, get him started on Benitez, yeah. for the love of God. Don't you fuck it, pedigree, you. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Rafa Benitez. <laughs> Let's let's move swiftly on, guys. Pedigree. Oh got, yeah, well, we go. you won't Great. be laughing. You won't be laughing next season when they get relegated. Lot of questions to get for you guys, so I want to shift into quick fire gear to mix my metaphors somewhat. So I'm going to ask you a question each. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question each. So you've got to just you know answer. Who the hell, you've got to answer within thirty seconds. Um, first up, Lawrence, to get you off of this. Uh, Benitez run. Uh, David D. Shanahan, 9.30, tweets in, thoughts on the new Liverpool kit? 30 seconds. It's certainly very uh, pedigree. Certainly very pretty. Mm, um, it's, a nice a, it's a kit. throwback, 125 years of Liverpool. It would have been very interesting, uh, considering, uh, actually, I mean, yeah, people are talking, it's the 125th year of Liverpool. Um, Liverpool originally didn't start out in red like this. It would have been fascinating to see Liverpool uh turn out in the original kit that they played in 125 years ago mm. but this is a throwback to a number of different classic kits um and you know uh, liverpool have only played in all red since the 60s so um it's a lovely kit uh classic collar doesn't suit me but it will suit a lot of other people mm. um and apparently it wraps the aging man very well uh as we've seen on Redman tv today lovely um moving swiftly I'm joking. On, remember quick 
answers. Uh, Gonzalo Golazzo, a fantastic Twitter name, says, should Monaco cash in on their stars and rebuild? Nico, I'm going to fire this one at you. Take a second. Uh, no, I think if they can keep a lot of those core players that they've managed to develop uh, recently, you know, that would be the, their best credit and their best ability to sort of um, continue continually keep themselves elevated not only within uh Liga but also you know within European competition and I think as Lawrence has spoken to before um there is that draw with sort of these newer money teams and I think he even said Monaco that you know maybe you can't necessarily guarantee a title or trophies but you can say hey you can come be part of this great squad and I think if they can hold on to the likes of an Mbappe or or Sidibe or or Thomas Lamar you know you can get other great players to come in and add to your squad Mbappe is still a lovely name, isn't it? It's just it's it sounds it's onomatopoeic. Uh, Gushan says Tottenham best team and Pochettino best manager in England, but do any of them have any trophies? The answer is no. Um, let's see what happens at the end of the next season. You know, don't just judge a team's success. Don't judge a team's what progress. The evolution. Exactly. Think about it, Dave. You'd you'd love that sign. You would love that sign. It would be um, beautiful. Question for you, Dave. Adjnan twenty eight. On Twitter says, thoughts on Martial's future with United? In my opinion, the most talented young player in the league, but I'm worried Mourinho doesn't rate him. Has he refound his trust in the Frenchman, Dave? I think he has. Uh, the start against Burnley as a striker, the start this evening, I think he has found his trust. I think Martial was United's best attacker against City, and unfortunately United didn't get him the ball enough for him to run at Zabaleta, because he absolutely had Zabaleta's pants down his ankles. So I, don't, I wouldn't be worried at all. I think with Zlatan going, you know, United shouldn't sign Zlatan on a new deal after the knee injury, unfortunately. So Martial and Rashford is United's future. Mm, great answer. Concise. I love it. Caspucci uh, DM'd me specifically to ask uh, on Instagram. I do have an Instagram, guys. Go and follow me if you uh, want extremely average pictures. He said, if every player kept their youth products, which league would be the best, Chris? If every league kept their youth products, which league would be the best? Are uh, we talk, uh, Wait, are we, when we say youth products, interesting are you question. saying the things that have saying, come out of their academy? Or are you talking about so I think England's got yeah, Sterling? Yeah, I think he's saying that, you know, Hector, did Hector, you know, like, did Cesc Fabregas, is he a youth product of England, technically? Is that is he going that route? <laughs> Absolutely not. He's from Barcelona. <laughs> he's, is he basically saying which country produces the best footballers? Is that what he's saying? I think no, if he's I... saying if everyone wasn't allowed to move, yeah. if you had to, yeah. you had to stay yeah. at the club you yeah. joined at first, he was. Um, Argentinians travel a lot, so I would say probably sure. Spain, Argentina, they would be quite good. France um, would be up there, you know. France would be up there. End of. Um, I think this one we can go around all of us very quickly with concise answers. Maybe 15 seconds. Thomas, yeah. Tom, www. He said, what's your favorite part of your job? And also, how would you recommend someone get into the same industry, your industry, whatever the industry may be, starting from scratch without a degree, etc." Boy. Uh, cheers, boys. Love you all. Kiss, kiss. Thanks, Thomas. You the man. Uh, Dave, why don't we start with you? What's your favourite part of your job and how would you recommend someone get into the same industry? Very quickly. Um, favourite part? Probably sitting in my pants, doing work. You know, nobody can judge me. What a way to live. No, there's no haters in my room. Pop a ball account whilst you're... Uh... Uh, uh, and what was the second part of the question again? Dan? How would you recommend someone uh, who's starting from scratch, essentially, to get into your industry? Watch. 
bare football. Like I mean, like every single day, the daily grind, hour. Football with bears, Dave. Exactly. Bear football. It's uh, new. It's exciting. Go and check it out. Uh, when Lawrence. you say bear football, do you mean like football in the I feel mood? like we've got hung up, yeah, we've got hung up on Dave's uh, language there. Uh, Lawrence, what's the favourite part of your job? And how would you recommend someone gets into your industry? Every Monday night and every Thursday night, Adam. Um, uh, how does someone get, get into my industry? Podcast. You don't necessarily need a degree anymore. I think you need experience. Um, if you are young and you want uh, experience in you know, radio or TV, don't always think about going to London or Manchester. Go to a local place, um, you know, be that hospital radio or a local radio, local TV. There's lots of community TV that's out there at the moment. Go and start and get your hands on the equipment. Start editing. Start, um, you know, doing this stuff and getting experience on, on the ground. Um, and, you know, start talking to people. Because the sooner you do that, the more you will learn and the better you will get. And it, it just makes sense. I'll echo everything you said, Lawrence. Uh, favorite part of the job is doing you know what you love to do following your passion and as Lawrence is saying I think getting experience getting your foot in the door and actually getting some constructive sort of work time under your belt is very productive also diversify your skills you know don't just be good at one thing be good at multiple things make yourself you know make yourself so hireable that people can't help but get you involved essentially um, same question to you Chris just echo what the lad said really end of <laughs> I, I will i will also say that i mean you know if you want to work in online then having a multiple skill set is very good but um at the same time if you want to work in a big industry and let's face it you know youtube and online is going in a similar direction there is a great need for people who have focused skills on production um coordination mm, uh, all sorts of that. things and so having that focused skill of having one thing if you get into the right part of the industry, can be an incredible asset to you because you can make yourself almost indispensable to certain companies. Bemoan that, you know, there's a lack of specialization, but at the same time, a lot of employers will be like, oh, can you edit that? Can you film that? Can you Photoshop that? Can you do that? You're expected to do everything. And if you can't, I think especially at the start, maybe you, you potentially limit yourself slightly. But, you know, just an opinion. Uh, Nick, what are you saying? Yeah, I think um, maybe Chris will echo this as well. You know, sometimes you get a really uh, inspired idea in terms of uh, your writing, and, it, and it's just really fun to flesh out and evolve that idea as you go and, and go down sort of the creative process. So I think that's probably one of the best and most fun things that you can do really as a writer. Um, it, it's 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 great. Mm. Do like Nico did and literally just message people and say, um, can I come on your podcast and beg in, until the point where we then end up inviting you back. Is, it, is that what I did, Lawrence? <laughs> and here we um, all are. The rest is and history. Here we yeah. um, Dave, this question... <laughs> Dave, I've got a great question for you. Really important question from Virginia Blues. He says... It's actually not a question. It's more, it's more of an observation. Listening to Dave trying to get out of losing a bet. Laughable, he says. You were wrong, mate. Get yourself <laughs> to the salon. Have I lost a bet yet, Adam? I mean, it's not looking good, Dave. Zlatan reportedly out for eight months. The people have had their say as well on Twitter. We put the poll out there. What happens to the bet now? Is it void? Uh, is it double or nothing? Does Dave go blonde? The final results, after 2,000 votes, 
58% voting Statman goes Statman goes bleach blonde, Dave. The bet's mm. over. I wouldn't say so. Are the bookies are the bookies paying out yet? I don't think so. I don't, Wait, sorry, as what, I told you what, that what, Man United what, have got some horse placenta. They are using it on Zlatan knee right now, and he's going to return. He's going to be up. Okay, King, exactly? he's be, last game of the season, hat trick, sorted. What would they? What Did exactly? you say? Horse placenta. Could, could you imagine? Could you mm. imagine if he re- resurrects himself almost to score a hat trick on the final day of the season? Okay, so it's going down they, to the wire. You're essentially saying you're still holding out hope that Zlatan's so going to come back from what yeah. is potentially a nine-month layoff in yeah. the space of about four weeks. If it took me like thirteen months to recover. From an ACL injury, he's a professional player. That's easy, like two weeks. Yeah, easy. No, you're right. We'll see what happens then. We shall see what happens. Um, Gary Goals says, uh, "Who has the better defense, Juventus or Atletico?" Uh, what do you reckon, Nico? Potential finalists in this year's Champions League. I would probably say Juventus. Um, I think uh, Atletico this season, if we're talking about overall on uh, the past couple of years, I think Atletico edge it probably. But um, Atletico have gone out this season under Diego Simeone and tried to be a little bit more narrow so as to further their attacking um, attacking efficacy, I guess, and, and hasn't really worked out for them. And I think um, on top of the fact that they have some elite defenders, Juventus uh, excel in game management, as I wrote about. Um, so I think it's I think the best defense in Europe is probably uh, Juventus. Next question is from Kenny J. Rabolo. Decent name. Would you ever consider having fans call in to ask a question live? Sort of like no. what Move the on. Football Republic uh, used to do in their UCL live streams. Oh, that was oh. such a good, that was such a good time in our lives, wasn't it? Yeah, such fun. God. Yeah. What do you reckon? Would anyway, you get people to call um, into a show again? I used to enjoy that when we did that on TFR. You know, uh, back way back when we would get people to phone in. It was great to you know talk to the the audience, talk to the guys out there. If only we had any of the people who originally worked at the Football Republic and made it the channel it was. Um, I mean, Don't know where sure. I, you know what? I would actually, I actually would enjoy to do a show like that. I was talking about this um, weirdly with Kelly Cates from Six Hundred Six, and she one. said, "What a great, um, what a great show that would be." And I said, <laughs> "Yes, Kelly, yes, like, it we, would." Yeah, we already do that. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe, I said, yeah, maybe but, we yeah, do it in the future. Kids, Kelly. When we get like a, you know, when we're rich and famous from this very podcast, it may take a while, uh, we'll get ourselves a studio, you know, live phone-in shows oh, for the new generation. It could be. I don't understand why. I don't, I mean, it's not, it's not hard to sort of, um, to even just, I mean, have you ever seen, um, what's that one that the poet does where he holds up the iPad? Um, yeah, no, the other one, the one where he sort of, you know, he's got like Leon Knight or whoever on the iPad. Production values. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe Kenny, maybe it, maybe one day we'll we'll see, we'll think about maybe bringing that in. I think that'd be nice. I'd like to I'd like to speak to the guys out there. It'd be nice. Surely someone can just surely someone could send it in as a Twitter clip or as a, a Snapchat or something. We did that once as a pilot for a company, too old but for Snapchat. Yeah, a bit point. old for Snapchat. Yeah. Dave, you're probably young enough for Snapchat. Do you use Snapchat? Yeah, Nico's, Nico's young enough for Snapchat. These young Dave guys. Snapchats way too much. He Snapchats his. Pretty much his entire life, it's kind of yeah, disturbing. Yeah, it's usually in my pants as well. Sometimes oh, it's a bit Wow. Ollie, interesting question from at Ollie Shep 97 about the question a few pods ago about football in 100 years. Where do you see esports going? Is it just a phase or will it continue to grow? 
Um, I think this is serious business. There's serious money behind this, guys. You've seen how EA Sports have revolutionised FIFA this year with the Foot Champions Leagues on the weekend. Took them so long to do that, Jesus. <laughs> it was it was a no-brainer almost, but they've they've got everything in place now. The infrastructure is there to sort of take esports to the next level when you've got the biggest company in football, in gaming behind it. I think that's a, a sign that it is going to continue to grow. And we spoke about it on that very podcast. You know, the future of esports is you're sitting at home controlling the players. You know, you've got your VR headsets on. Let's see, when we're all dead and gone, that'll be football. Moving on, uh, Oshkari Kajava said, apart from the MLS specialist, Kristen, what are your perceptions of MLS? So no Kristen on this question. Dave, what's your perception in a very quick, concise answer of MLS? They need to bring in academies and bin the draft. Great stuff. Lawrence? Um, uh, again, a really great American league. Um, they, If anything, I actually think I, I, I like the idea of pro-rel over there, not to get too much into this. Uh, but, but at the same time, um, I have enjoyed the uh, closed league system that they've had so far. And I hope that they keep some of the regulation that they've had in um, and maybe try and uh, maintain some of the, f- the ideas of fairness that they originally set the league up around, uh, which may seem to have uh, gotten lost in some of the politicking. Mm. Nico, what do you reckon? I, th- I think... Um... It's a fun league to watch. It's a fun league to go watch locally, especially um, since Orlando City's new stadium is fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I think it's got a big future, and I'm excited to see what uh, what it can do for itself, uh, not only for you know the, the perception of American soccer, but as well the, the national team. I think it's great fun. Went to an Atlanta United game when I was in America. You know, let's do a name drop. I was there with Spencer. We met Carlos Bocanegra. He was a nice guy. Uh, Darren Eels as well, the president of the club. I was very impressed by what they're trying to do. Seeing their training ground, seeing the the new stadium they're building. I think it was it was clear the ambitions and sort of the the investment and everything that's going into making this club a success. And actually going to the game very different to an English game, very sort of family friendly, a lot of sort of children and women there, which I thought was great to see different sort of atmosphere, but nonetheless a fantastic atmosphere. And I think, you know, it's different to the English game, but not to its detriment. You know, it's got its own qualities. Um, So I think it's very enjoyable. I'm excited to see how it develops in the future. Next question. Not a question, more of an observation. Prude V says, I have a weird cup idea. One club from each league who spent most in the window will involve in a tournament, the winner gets a small cup of tea. Not really sure what to make of that one. Um, but it's, an interesting I mean, idea. It's surreal. Yeah, very surreal. Uh, Dave, this one's for you. Uh, from, interestingly enough, J for T, his name is. Uh, Slavin Bilic, do you think he deserves more criticism this season? Tactics, substitutions and squad fitness have been poor all season. They have sort of gone under the radar in the last few weeks, you know, probably safe now with Swansea and Sunderland being dragged down. What do you reckon, Dave? Should your favourite manager, Slavon Bilic, have got more pelters for this season? Yeah, he should have got more pelters when he got the job because if anyone had looked into his previous, they realised that he starts well and it goes downhill from there. And that's where it appears it's going right now. And West Ham need to move on from Slavon Bilic as quick as they can. I like it. I like it. Um, Here's a great question. 
that I can't answer. John Shin, the man to blame for Dave's bleach blonde hair, essentially. Uh, if you could sign one player from Spurs to your side, who would it be and why? Sorry, Adam Bowood crying laughing emoji. Currently, Spurs are a joy to watch. You're not wrong, John. Lawrence, which Spurs player would you like to see Liverpool sign in a hypothetical fantasy world? Uh, Delhi Ali. Oh, great choice. Uh, Liverpool could have signed him a few years ago, but they, they thought he wouldn't amount fuck. to much. Oh, right, yeah. uh, Dave, who would you pick? Not Delhi Ali. Hurricane Harry. Oh, what a player. He is sensational. Uh, you'd like to see him leading the line for Manchester United? I think he'd slot right mm. in. Yeah, I think that'd be perfect. Uh, Chris, who do you want to see pitching up at St. James Park? Oh, I could take anyone, really. Um, you can't take Harry Kane or Tali Allen. Moussa Dembele. Nico? If I'm being realistic within this fantasy world, I'm saying yeah. Kevin Vimmer. If I'm being fantastical, what? I'm saying Toby Alderweireld. Right. Kevin Vimmer, yeah? Wow. He's fantastic. He would fit right into the back three that, that Pep Guardiola wants to play. Mate, he's yours. He's all yours, in my opinion. Mainly you don't like he's him? better than any of the centre-backs. No. Oh, uh, yeah. How are those uh, Liverpool centre-backs, Lawrence? How are they doing? This <laughs> fine, mate. Fine, mate. Yeah. Uh, are they doing good? I'm just wondering like, how they're Next doing. Next question. Did you say you write all your shit article? Next question, guys. <laughs> the sniping. The sniping on this podcast. Um, this is for everyone. Um, Gibbs at Ryan Gibson 1995 said... Who is your favourite player from your rival club? Sunderland are shit. In Chris's case, so we will say Brighton. Crying, laughing, emoji, face. Chris, which Brighton player would you take at Newcastle? Um, Lewis Dog. Mm. I really think they're a very average bunch of individuals. Uh, For me, it's obvious. It's Alexis Sanchez. Absolute no-brainer. Lawrence... Who would you take from Manchester United, I guess? Oh, Manchester United. That's an interesting one. Um, I would love to see Zlatan at Liverpool. To be fair, you know, um, I've, I've, I've phrased it wrong. He, he's saying favourite player, so, you know. Is, who's your favourite uh, Manchester United player? Uh, okay. Uh, oh, um, then... Who do you love? David De Gea. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, David De Gea. Yeah, he's your favourite Manchester. Yeah, um, I mean, look at him. That hair, cheese, yeah. man. Um, Nico. Um, Henrik Mkhitaryan or Daily Blind. Mm, interesting choices. Uh, Dave. No, your no, your rivals, Nico. <laughs> Dave, I'm I guess you've got a choice of Man City or Liverpool. Uh, um, yes. Deja Lovren's pretty funny. Always gets seven eyes and then once off falls off the cliff again. Yeah, yeah, good choice, very good choice. Um, final question is from Justin Thunder Lager, maybe Lager, which would be a fantastic a wrestling reference, I think. Oh man, um, I went to see wrestling last week, just you know, so I should probably know that. That's that thing. Um, anyway, he says, The Wire or The Sopranos, what do you prefer? Great question. The answer for me personally is The Sopranos. What a great show. Sensational. Um, Lawrence, got a preference there? What's your favourite TV show of all time? Really? Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, I agree. 
Sopranos, you're going for Sopranos. The, the Sopranos is excellent. Oh, oh Sopranos is excellent. Breaking Bad's the best. The wire, the, wire, the wire was fantastic, though. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, very, I mean, very good. Uh, no, 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 no. No. What? <laughs> Silly. What? The, the Breaking Bad's not the best TV show of all time. I think it is, yeah. It's pretty good. Go <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, all time. I think Breaking Bad is number one, yes. I think Sopranos... The, the best drama. The best drama. Hmm. was the best thing you've ever watched. Not, are you yeah, joking? I, I think you're negatively viewing Breaking Bad because maybe shows like The Wire, maybe The Sopranos, like deeper character studies. There's lots of... Uh, very interesting sort of social commentary no, in there. Breaking Bad, Dave not so said much. Lost. No, you didn't, did you? Dave, yeah, did, you, did you say Lost, mate? What do you, what do you mean? I enjoyed Lost from Let me start to finish. Lost is it's one of the first. Amer- it was one of the first, first um, like ones that was oh, like a movie every episode. The only thing about Lost is that last season really let it down. It was superb up until that point. Yeah, that was the only thing. Why? What was wrong with the ending? It was a happy ending. Yeah, it was a joke. What? Bit of beauty. They couldn't wrap Lovely. it up, Dave. They couldn't tie they up all they those wrapped loose it, They ends. wrapped it up, Adam. It was all about the viewer and what the viewer, you know, decided the end was. Are you being was, contrary right now? Are you trying to wind me up? <laughs> right, let's move on. Chris, what's your favourite out of The Wire and Sopranos? And what's your favourite TV show of all time? I've never seen either The Wire or The Sopranos. Oh, good God, man. What's your favourite um, TV show of all time in that case? The Newsroom, probably. Yeah, interesting that choice. That is a very interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, Nico, yeah. Breaking Bad? No. Wire or Sopranos? Or what's your favourite TV show of all time? Uh, I like The Sopranos. Uh, I'd also say Breaking Bad's pretty good. Um, I liked it a lot, so I don't know what Lawrence's problem with it is. Mm. I, I, I don't have a problem with it. I'm just, I mean, Nico, I'm probably in the same camp as you, right? Sex and the City. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, love that one. <laughs> Them girls. Um, guys, wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's such what a Samantha thing to say. A podcast. Until next week, until Monday, when we'll be reviewing Tottenham's superb win over Arsenal in the North London Derby. Uh, <laughs> where can we find you? Got some balls on you, haven't you, mate? Um, probably watching The, the Sopranos back. Mm, uh, fantastic on show. T- so Twitter. Uh, let us know your favourite series and we might watch them together as a group and comment on them. Mm, interesting proposition. Uh, Dave, where <laughs> can people no. find you? The internet. Oh, the internet. It's a magical place. Chris, can people find you on the internet? Uh, yeah, but don't search for us. Hmm. And definitely don't search for John Terry's mum. Is that true? No, it's not true. But it was great fun all the same. Uh, Nico, thank you so much. Special guest tonight, Super Sub himself. Where can the people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nico underscore O Morales. Um, read my articles if you want. Lawrence says they're shit, but I think they're pretty good. I tweeted one the other day. <laughs> oh, dear. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Great more charity than enjoyment. Guys, hope you've enjoyed this podcast, the sniping, the fun, the games we've all enjoyed. We'll see you on Monday.